Hi, today we'll be focusing on the keys to launching consumer IoT products and services while hearing from an executive about the challenges on building and running a billion dollar global business. More when we return. Nexius, accelerating network and business transformation. Telecom Careers, the number one global telecom and wireless job board. Telecomcareers.com. Welcome back, everyone, for another edition of Inside Telecom Careers. I'm your host, Carla Macias. Also joining us today is Editorial Director from RCR Wireless News, Jeff Mucci. Thank you. Thank you. And also our special guest today is Frank Hanslick, Telecom Executive and former CEO of Wi-Fi Alliance and was an Executive Director at Dell. Welcome. Great. Thank you. So um, before we start today's show, uh, we like to start off with getting, you know, to see what the weekly news was. Uh, what can y'all both tell us about any news that caught your attention this week? Well, Carla, I think there were some uh, really interesting stories that uh, do impact the workforce. Uh, I'll start out by the, uh, the Sprint uh, announcement this week. They're going to invest another $150 million in their Chicago network. They're going to hire another 700 people. So in total, they're, uh, they previously announced hiring 300 people, so they announced another 700 people. They already had 800 people in the market, so they're really ramping up in, in Chicago. And um, based on my experience in Chicago, uh, what, what you see there is it's a great market to test LTE Advanced, which is what they're doing. They're also going to be testing some of their uh, 2.5 spectrum that they acquired from Clearwire. And uh, having been one of the former or founding members of the uh, Clearwire team that Goldman back in 2001, I've got a lot of experience with that 2.5 spectrum. And so when you look at Chicago, whether you be looking at the Millennial Park and the Bean, uh, you've got a lot of valleys that uh, you need to shoot backhaul in. And so I think it's going to be an interesting place for them to test out and really start using that spectrum. Uh, they, in the press release that um, we wrote about this week, they're, they're going to hire retail people, they're going to hire field techs, and they're also going to be hiring some engineers for that market. Um, other big news, uh, HP announced that they're continuing their downsizing. They're going to be, uh, and, and they, they said that they're, they're giving folks the option of going to become a contractor, 1099 contractor, or lose their job. So there's a lot of controversy there surrounding that, and we can talk about, you know, what do companies do when they've got to downsize? Uh, you've seen a lot of the consumer electronic companies, because of the thin margins, mm -hmm. that have had to reduce their headcount, um, and it's challenging. And, um, but in California, as we've seen with Uber, um, managing 1099 folks is a, a challenge. So I think uh, something to watch on that HP announcement is will they be able to keep those people as 1099s mm -hmm. or will the uh, California government force them to be considered as, as workers? Mm -hmm. um, another article this week was Verizon announced that they weren't going to take any Connect America funds. And um, the story behind that story is related to the unions that we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks. Um, if they take funds, they're, or they may be obligated to keep union workers in those markets. So basically, Verizon has said, we're not going to take uh, those Connect America funds, which are really designed to bring broadband to rural markets. They did, I think, bid on uh, some markets uh, or uh, take $48 million or so, but it was contingent upon being able to transfer that to uh, um, uh, Frontier, who's buying some of Verizon's wireline assets. Um, on a broader scale, I think some stories we're going to be talking about, we've been talking about China and we'll talk about China a little bit today, but I think something to watch is what's going on in the European Union. 
Um, today and, and yesterday, you've seen the European Union Antitrust Division uh, trying to keep uh, Google at bay so that some of the European search companies have a chance. You saw a similar trend years ago with Microsoft where the antitrust group of European Union uh, had uh, Microsoft unbundle their search, Internet Explorer. So you're seeing the same thing with uh, Google, but that's only part of the story. The bigger story there is, I think, the, um, the planning that the European Union is implementing around their EU 2020 vision project. Uh, and it's all about making sure that the European Union and the countries therein aren't digital has-beens. So you got the rise of China, you got strength in America, but here you have the European Union that if they don't uh, get their act together and invest in the future of the internet, then they run the risk of being a, uh, a digital has-been. So what you have is the European Union, and the policy is really centered out of Brussels right now, and uh, they're investing hundreds of millions of dollars a year into projects to advance R&D and technology in Europe. So I think that's a trend to watch because it's, a, it's part of a master plan that includes uh, vocational skills, job skills, R&D, 5G test. We had InterDigital in our studio a couple weeks ago and they talked about uh, 50 or $75 million tests that they're doing in um, um, around 5G and front hall technologies. So I think when you look at the U.S., I think that's the kind of vision we ought to be seeing in the U.S. from some of the presidential candidates right now, and this is my opinion, is we've got to have a vision, we've got to have a technology plan, we've got to provide incentives for R&D because the European Union is doing it, China's certainly doing it. So the U.S., third story might be, you know, are we at risk of being a digital has-been as well? Well, I know the stock market's been in the news lately, so Frank, do you have any insight about what's going on? And I was going to say Mucci for president. That was great. So, uh, you know, so <laughs> well, Trump, you know, Trump, Trump, Trump work I out. Tell you what, I got to get know, a new so rug. You know, if I'm right. going to compete with Trump, I'm going to have to get a new rug. Um, yeah, no, obviously, Carla, I mean, I think we've all probably been really watching what's happened in the market the last couple of weeks. Mm -hmm. You know, tremendous volatility in the stock market. Um, a lot of bad, a little bit of good, but it's just really ebbing and flowing a lot. And I think to me, the thing that's interesting is it's finally starting to show up in terms of this, this slowdown in the China economy. You know, this growth of 10%, 8% plus for kind of forever is starting to, I think, hit some ceilings. And so this is going to have uh, pretty broad-based implications relative to Chinese companies that had been able to fuel a lot of their growth you know, in the mainland, um, but also multinationals that were getting a lot of their growth there. So I think it's ultimately going to be good for U.S. consumers. You know, it's going to be more competition. People are going to look at big established markets like the U.S. and say, hey, we've got to go drive growth there. And it's certainly going to create opportunities, you know, across the pond. If you look at like, you know, Middle East, Africa, et cetera, tremendous growth and opportunity over there. So, you know, I think it's good, but just some of the slowdown, you know, it, it was coming, coming, coming. Now it's happening. That's good. Well, let's jump into, uh, you know, what are some of the trends and challenges that you've been seeing launching IoT products and services? Well, the thing about IoT is the numbers are just always astounding. I mean, you just, just throw a few data points out there. I mean, 40 billion connected devices in 2020, you know, an extra 10 to 15 trillion dollars trillion dollars in GDP growth, you know, due to this uh, 100 million, you know, smart light bulbs, you know, so these are huge, huge, huge numbers. Uh, Jeff and I were joking a little bit earlier. It's kind of like this holy trinity of growth is like cloud services, big data mm -hmm. and IOT. Now, all that's good on the surface, but the reality is it makes it very hard to live up to expectations because yeah. those are super, super big numbers. And arguably, you know, the industry has been 
been hyped, you know, some would say probably a little bit overhyped on the consumer side, maybe a little bit less so on the commercial side, but uh, it does have strong implications relative to how we think about this. And Frank, you gave a, a presentation at NI Week a couple mm -hmm. weeks ago that did talk about NI. What were some of the key takeaways from that presentation? And again, trying to get back to what's it really like to launch an yeah, IoT product? Yeah, no, it's a great point. I think you know the first thing is you know you just have to understand that there is a huge, exciting market out there, and everybody else understands that as well. So the first point is it's going to be really competitive, right? Just everybody is going to get in this business. You hear the CEO of Intel basically saying, hey, we're not going to miss these big transitions. They're making a big, big bet. In terms of IoT, working with Luxottica, you know, some really fashion first, you know, kind of companies that Intel traditionally had not worked with. You look at what Google has done with the Nest acquisition, trying to really scale that up. Um, you look at the tremendous success folks like Fitbit have had, you know, with their IPO recently. So again, you know, everybody wants to be in this business. And so, you know, expect competition to be really, really tough. You know, the second point is because of that, you know, there's not going to be a lot of profit. So you just have to kind of be prepared to say, this is going to be a business where there's probably going to be thin margins. How can you be successful at that? Does that mean you've got to have economies of scale in terms of how you develop hardware? Uh, does it mean you have to think about application services, you know, other ways of kind of creating monetization schemes, keeping things sticky? Um, third thing is brand matters. You know, yeah. at the end of the day, uh, we see, again, GoPro, you know, Fitbit. I mean, there's these great, great, great companies that have developed cult followings, right? Amazing, amazing brands. And so at the end of the day, you know, there's just not going to be enough physical shelf space to put all these products up there. So you have to also be very thoughtful of what is the go-to-market? Is it big box? Is it specialty? Do you want to sell through health clubs? You know, do you want to just do online only? You know, so I just think those are some of the things that companies that are in IoT are really have to think through. How about security? I know this morning I read in Ars Technica, uh, they did a review of six or seven um, baby monitoring products and found that lo and behold, all but one really were open to hacking. And so you hear, you know, moms don't think about the fact that if they've got a baby monitoring camera and they're sitting there with their child, that there's someone could hack in not only to that system, but potentially other systems in the network. So how do you view security and what's it going to take to uh, bring security to the Internet of Things? Yeah, I think it's a great point. I mean, I think, you know, one, kind of like we talked about at the NI event a couple weeks ago, you have to kind of have this premise that everything is going to be connected. Okay, so that's the first thing. And the second is exactly what you're touching on, Jeff, is, and everything has to be secure. You know, I remember early in my career at Motorola, you know, I worked with um, public safety systems on two-way radio products. We used to call it Land Mobile Radio. And, um, you know, security was super relevant there. It's super relevant today. So you're just, you're never done. You know, there's always an incentive for people to try to, you know, break into things, you know, kind of compromise you know, kind of the environment there. So I think in addition to designing products that are always connected, you have to make sure you've got absolutely the best commitment and robustness around security. Do so you, you think the money's gonna be in the security and cloud versus the actual products? Well, I think that's, uh, it's probably varies, right? I mean, I think that there's certain companies that have such economies of scale that they probably can make money on just traditional hardware, right? I think there's others, maybe perhaps more startups, et cetera, they're gonna have to have a more creative approach and I think it may be some of those other things there. Well, I know as a customer, I wouldn't wanna buy something unless, you know, the security, I know that the product mm -hmm. is secure, so. Mm -hmm. Definitely that, think that's something to yeah. look into. Um, now, Frank, uh, talk about product development, planning, and strategy as a career. Mm -hmm. Well, uh, Jeff and I were joking about this a little bit earlier, too. I, I remember back to my days at Motorola a long time ago, and you know, I think 
my first chance to be a product manager was probably one of my most fun jobs. You know, it's um, it's kind of your baby. You know, you have a chance to kind of you know conceive this product or this idea. You have a chance to kind of really bring it to life. You have a chance to kind of raise it to adolescence, and then you know if you're successful, you have a chance to do it you know all over again. Hopefully, a lot of times. So you know, it is a um, a field uh, and I think a specific career choice that uh, can be really a lot of fun. Well, I can tell just from your facial expression, you look kind of lit up mm -hmm. just talking about it. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems like mm -hmm. it was a career that you enjoyed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, we're going to bring up actually a slide, um, an example of a um, senior product manager job at AT&T. And which skills would you say are most critical for this role? Well, I think that there's uh, a few things, and I think it probably applies to this specific role, and I think it applies even to probably product management in general. You know, I think the first thing is um, it's really all about being a great listener. Mm -hmm. You know, what are the requirements? What are the pain points? Where are the opportunities? At the end of the day, you know, if you're doing product development or product management, hopefully you're doing it to solve a problem or to, you know, create an opportunity that didn't exist before. So you've got to be, you know, a great listener is what I would start with. Um, second, I think you've got to be a domain expert. You know, so if you're in telecom, I mean, you have to understand the business, you know, upside, downside, sideways, right? I mean, you talked about some of the recent events recently, I and mean, part of it's being a steward of the industry. You know, really, really understanding what's happening, where are things going, what's possible from a technology perspective, what's po what's possible from a partner perspective, what are some of the go-to-market considerations, those kind of things. You know, I think you have to be amazing at also leading, leading cross-functional teams because nobody ever develops a product on their own. It's a team. Yeah. You know, you probably have engineering folks, you've got marketing folks, you've got uh, finance folks, you've got operations folks, you've got sales folks. Ultimately, you know, to have a successful product or successful product portfolio, you've got to get everybody really kind of marching in that same direction. And that leads me to the final point, which is you have to be amazing also at hitting schedules and costs, right? Because, I mean, a great product for Christmas isn't a great product if it comes out in January. <laughs> you know? true. I mean, I remember at Dell, you know, 40% of our sales for Q4 in the consumer business were within 10 days between that kind of Black Friday, Cyber Monday period. So if you're going to hit that, you know, you have to hit that product at the right time yeah. at the right cost. And even a few weeks, a few days could make a big difference. Yeah, yeah no, I'm, uh, we've got this uh, senior product manager roll up for AT&T. And, you know, I, I, back to your point about it, it was one of the most exciting jobs you ever had. I know in my career, when I changed from commercial real estate development into telecom, we were running a uh, company that provided in-building phone service. Mm -hmm. And um, I'd spent six, six months in a sales role, and then they moved me into a market development, product development role. And I would say that was the single hardest job I ever had. To your point, managing cross-functional teams when they don't report to you. Yep. And so when you look at this particular job description, it talks about, yes, uh, supervising a group of people who do work for mm -hmm. you, but it really talks about the excellence in those interpersonal skills mm -hmm. because you've got to influence people who are already busy doing a job on other products to take time to look at your product. So in the telecom world, which is where I came from, the service side, you've got to deal with and I just didn't know it until you jump into it with both feet, you got to deal with the engineering team. 
what product uh, equipment you're going to install, how you're going to maintain it, how you're mm -hmm. going to train the techs to support it. Uh, you got to talk to the operation teams so that when the product fails, they ca someone calls customer service. How does the operation team monitor, manage? What are the mean time to repair, mean time to respond? Uh, do you have spares? So we were a service company. We offered service in uh, most major markets around the country, LA being one of the largest. You have to have spare depots, mm -hmm. right? So you got to think if you got a contract that says mean time to repair, mean time to respond being four hours, and you got uh, an outage in the in, in the in the kind of Burbank area, and your spare depot is down in Long Beach, can you go get the parts and get them over there? So uh, then billing, you got to work with the IT department to say, how am I going to set up the billing codes for this? Got to talk to the accounting team, mm -hmm. make sure you have the revenue mm -hmm. codes, the job codes, commissions. How are you going to pay people? If you got a multi-prong uh, distribution strategy, you got wholesale, you got referral affinity programs, and you got direct programs. You got to make sure that you've got all the sales tools and collateral for each of those groups. You got to make sure they get paid on time. So it's an incredibly complex role, if you will, and it doesn't matter whether you're a billion-dollar company or a hundred million-dollar company. Um, having gone through that cycle a couple times, it really prepares you for other leadership roles, whether it be VP roles or general mm -hmm. manager mm -hmm. roles, or in my case, ended up running companies, but it really came from the experience running the gauntlet as a product manager. And I just, I think what they've outlined here in terms of the, 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 the responsibilities, um, you gotta partner with field marketing, you gotta participate in the development of plans, creation of sales collateral, you got a team with operations, finance, customer service, and IT on support systems. So here at RCR Wireless, we write a lot about BSS and OSS. Mm -hmm. Rolling out a product is incredibly hard. You look at AT&T rolling out digital life. We've got it installed here as a product. It's a billion dollar business unit now for AT&T, but getting it to market is just incredibly hard. Um, interpersonal skills, mm -hmm. leadership skills, analytical skills are three I would add to the equation in terms of you know, what, what really makes. You know, one other thing you touched on I think that's important is there's always this issue of kind of good enough. You know, everyone will always say there's a better product. That's, you know, always make it better. Let's take a little bit more time. Let's put a bit more cost in it. But at the end of the day, you know, a lot of this is making all these trade-offs. Every week, you may be making 50 decisions on, you know, what to keep, what not to keep, something changed, et cetera. And so that's the other part that is not only really, really important to be a successful product manager, but to your point, it creates a great foundation as you're thinking about running a business someday. If you really want to be a general manager, if you want to, um, lead, you know, a certain element of a business, you know, those skills, again, are just, just immeasurable in terms of putting you in a good position to do that. Yeah. And Carl, I think if we could flip to the next slide, yeah. it's uh, required qualifications that AT&T has for this particular, and I don't know if you can see it, but, mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it talks about you got to have one or more years in product or product development. Mm -hmm. So one question is, how do, you, how do you get one year experience in product development? Well, I think part of this is, you know, it's, it's, you talked about passion earlier. I mean, I think if you're really passionate about something, I mean, there's an old Steve Jobs quote that, that uh, I'll use because it's just such a good one, and I'll paraphrase it, but basically it says if you want to be truly great at your job, you know, you've got to love what you do. That's and fair. if you're not there, then don't settle. Go figure it out. So if you really want to get into product development or product management, you know, go find people that are doing that. Get close to them understand what it's all about. You know, how do you do this? You know, what are the skills? You know, where do I have gaps? Where do I need to focus on those? Um, how can I show you experiences I've done in the past that may be very 
relevant to some of the things that we have to do here today in terms of leading those cross-functional teams or maybe, you know, I've spent three years as an engineer, I understand the technology, I can use that as a great advantage as I move into this role, which is kind of a little bit more broad-based. So, you know, I think it starts with, if you're really passionate about it, you know, again, be a good listener, seek people out who are doing those roles, and, you know, if you have a good self-awareness, you know, of kind of what it takes, and you show a commitment, you know, to kind of closing those gaps and investing to get there, I think nine times out of ten people will be happy to take a chance on you. You know, I think one of the other misperceptions I've seen is people think product development and product management is a marketing job. Mm -hmm. You know, it's pretty brochures and nice words on a page. It's, it's not at all. Mm -hmm. It is about intimate knowledge of the domain, intimate knowledge of what your customers need. And um, yes, you've got to put nice words on a page and, and create nice demand generation programs, but it's, it's, it's an incredibly compelling, interesting, challenging job, but it's not, a, it's not the same as marketing. Maybe give us some kind of compare yeah, no, and contrast no, no, the marketing and product strategy. Yeah, well, I think you're right. At the end of the day, I mean, I think the way I would kind of summarize it is it's a, I mean, it's a true P&L job. I mean, you're really kind of managing a profit and loss statement for this product. This is your business, if you will. Maybe it's a $10 million business. Maybe it's a $10,000 business, whatever it is. And so you really have to understand all those dynamics that go into it. Marketing, without a doubt, is, 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 is critical, right? Mm -hmm. So thinking yeah. through the go-to-market, how are we positioning this product? How is it different than the competitive set? Um, what are the channels? that we want to use to bring this product to market? Is it through carriers? Is it through retailers? Is it, is it online only? Um, what's the pricing strategy? You know, are we at the same price as competitor A? Are we 10% lower? Are we 5% higher? Are, do we have a different business model that says it's cheaper here and you pay us more later? So there's a lot of, um, I mean, there's the classic four P's of marketing, you know, product, price, place, promotion. Mm -hmm. And so there's a, a great canvas that you have to work with. But to your point, that's just one element ultimately in terms of managing that overall P&L. You've got to plan supply, right? You've got to make sure your costs are on target. You've got to make sure the product works. You know, I mean, there's all those other things that kind of go into that quote unquote, you know, GM role that a product manager plays. Yeah. Now we're gonna take a look at the salary range for this type of position, an example here. And how does that range compare to your experiences? You know, I think it compares well. I mean, I think that, um, you know, this is, I think another great reason why uh, this is such an exciting career mm -hmm. for people. I mean, these are these are good numbers, you know, I think by most by most measures, right? And so I think there is a appreciation of value that companies like at and in this example or others are basically saying these are really big jobs. These are really important jobs. You know, you get this product right and it could have, you know, billions of dollars of impact for the company. And so I think it's great to see um, top tier companies like AT&T putting out those kind of dollars over there. Um, smaller companies may have different salaries and maybe more equity based, you know, just based on where they are. So, you know, I think you have to kind of look at what you're trying to do, but there's a very, you know, lucrative career that you can have, you know, in this field. You know, I'm sorry, go ahead, Carl, please. Um, go ahead, because I think I was going to get into something else. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, I think you look, we got the slide up from Glassdoor. You know, I remember, you know, 20 years ago, you didn't have the internet. And so you couldn't do research on companies the same way you can today. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so finding a job and, and talking to people was really hard. You had to network and you had to know somebody. Mm -hmm. And it was just, you know, send your resume by way of mail. Mm -hmm. And, you know, can you imagine recruiters back then? Open up a bunch of envelopes, reading resumes, yeah. trying to call people on a landline <laughs> phone, leave a voicemail. Mm -hmm. So today, you know, if you're, if you're, you know, we're in a dynamic period. I think it's one of the most interesting periods of time in my 30-year career in terms of job opportunities because of 
the internet, because of the mobile internet, because of broadband, because of the internet of things. I mean, because of the convergence of digital media. Mm -hmm. You know, Carly, you came from traditional TV. Here you are doing web TV. The whole world is, is changing, which yeah. creates opportunity for those who are interested in advancing their career. Tools like Glassdoor uh, yeah, allow you to look up, do some research on companies. I know it drives companies nuts because you can always have a disgruntled employee put something up on Glassdoor. But for me to look at this and say, hey, I'm interested in AT&T, I'm interested in product development, and lo and behold, you got thousands of people that are putting in their salaries in here. Mm -hmm. And so again, $100,000 opportunity mm -hmm. as you move up the, the ladder in product development to an executive director, VP, GM, you know, you're talking more than six figures. And if you start getting your bonuses tied to um, the growth of the product, and you start seeing billion dollar products for a startup, these can be very, very interesting jobs. Well, and I think the other point that's really different than maybe you know 20 years ago is there's a lot more flexibility probably in terms of where you do these jobs today as well. You know, 20 years ago, you had to work in headquarters in New Jersey or you had to be at headquarters in Chicago if you had Motorola, whatever those examples were. And there's certainly some jobs that require that still today. But I think if you're really good at what you do, do it at home. I mean, the reality is your developing team may, <laughs> your developing team may be in uh, the Ukraine. You yeah. know, your marketing team may be in California. You know, your I mean, your teams may be so distributed that yeah. you're kind of a WebEx meeting away mm -hmm. from being able to be effective. And it's a little bit different than the everybody is in row 14 of these cubicles. You yeah. know? So I think that's the other part that I think is really exciting is you can do these really fun, meaningful opportunities. And you may be able to do them from whatever place is right for you. And kind of to follow up on what Jeff was saying about how, you know, just looking for jobs has changed over the past years, what would you, what are some tips that you have, you know, to someone that is looking to get into this career? You know, what are some resources that they can do to kind of help them out um, into securing a job in this field? Well, I think, you know, I talked about being a student of the industry. I think it starts with that. So, I mean, RCR, obviously, you guys do a great job. You know, there's, there's many others that um, I think do a great job of really, keeping a good pulse on what's happening in the industry. And so I think it starts with, again, that passion. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, you could be passionate about chewing gum or you could be passionate about cellular switches or whatever it is, but you know, you have to be a student of that industry. So I think it starts with just absolutely know that industry, know the technology, know the dynamics. I mean, you talked about, I mean, think about the services business today, the services industry in the US. I would argue there's more innovation happening on the telecom services side in the last two years, when you think about what started with T-Mobile and now everybody's like, what are contracts? <laughs> I mean, you know, you and I, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that's like heresy, right? Yep. And you just think about the level of innovation, not just on the product, because I think the product gets a lot of attention and there's still great, great innovation happening there, but look at the innovation on the services side. I mean, it's just crazy, iPhone for life, you know? People will show up at your coffee shop and, and, and give you your phone, uh, get it set up. I mean, things that didn't exist before at all, right? So, so I think it starts with kind of really being that student of the industry and then meeting those people, like I mentioned earlier. Who's doing that job? How do you understand yeah. what it really takes so you can get more specific about the skills? And again, what companies particularly value and then you know, put yourself in the best position to be there. Yeah, I mean, another, I would recommend people volunteer to be on uh, committees and teams internally. You know, volunteer, put in the extra effort, and ask to be on a team. Hey, uh, I'm willing to go in above and beyond the, the mm -hmm. call of duty to get involved in some product development type or some feedback type initiatives. I don't know how it works at, at Dell, yeah. but you just got to be involved. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, people are always looking for people who, wanna, who are good, who want to yeah. do more. Right, so I mean, we've had great, great, obviously, experience with interns who have come in for the summer, and you know, I had an intern this summer who did a great project for us on some cloud-based work. 
great, great job. You brought a great perspective in, and uh, he's someone that I think will be joining us next year, you know, full time. So, so I think you're right. If you're really interested, you're passionate, you're good, then people will usually be like, all right, yes, how do I take advantage of that? That's a good thing. I definitely recommend that because just personal experience, I there was an um, internship I was going for, and they had filled up all the positions, and I was like, all right, well, I'll volunteer. Mm-hmm. You, you don't have to say <laughs> yeah, an official, yeah, but I'll volunteer. Yeah. Any work you throw. And eventually, after three months, they finally, yeah. you know, gave me a full-time job. So, yeah, that's great. Um, yeah, I definitely think that's a good way to go. Mm-hmm. Well, Frank, walk us through your career. How did you get from Wi-Fi Alliance to Dell? Well, first, I was at Motorola. We were talking about Motorola yeah. a little bit. So I was at Motorola for a while. Um, that was a lot of fun. I mm-hmm. was there during the, I guess, the early years of the mobile explosion, you know, kind of 1G to 2G. You know, I, I just had a now chance you're really to. Dating uh, yourself. I know, yeah. I know. Uh, had a chance to work with, uh, Is that you the know, 60s or 50s, yeah, what, what was that? 30s, 80s? Marconi, okay. I don't know, okay. but um, <laughs> but it was really an exciting time, and we had these slogans, you know, cellular everyone everywhere. And at the time, that was a crazy idea, yeah. right? I mean, it was a crazy idea. Today, it's not a crazy idea. We live it every day. So, so I had a lot of fun at Motorola. Motorola is a great, great company, and uh, had a great chance working over there for a number of years. And then um, I came to Dell. Um, through some connections that I'd had to people that were at Motorola and uh, came to Dell and uh, launched the first um, Wi-Fi products that we did in PCs back in 99. And uh, at a show called Condex, that is no sure, longer uh, sure. a show anymore. And uh, But it was based on the mobility background that I had at Motorola. Dell was looking to kind of do more, more in the mobility area, and so I had a chance to move there. And then from there, I thought I would be at Dell for a number of years. Everything was great, but it was the year 2000. It was the big tech boom, and everybody was doing a startup. And so um, I had had the privilege of getting connected with um, a group of really, really smart folks that were some of the early players in Qualcomm and Intel and other areas, and they were putting together a startup, and so I went to do that for a few years, and that was fun, and then kind of ran the Wi-Fi lines, and then kind of came back to Dell. So I've had a chance to have a fun run, you know, kind of at uh, big companies, you know, kind of at small companies, and then, you know, probably one of the most rewarding things I'd ever done was the Wi-Fi Alliance, just because I feel when I got involved in that, it wasn't even Wi-Fi. I mean, Wi-Fi, we, we, we invented that term, right? It was IEEE 802.11b. It was the Wireless Ethernet Compatibility Alliance. And today, you know, we completely take Wi-Fi for granted. It's everywhere. Yeah. And, um, and I think the world is, in a small way, a little better place because we've got that. And, you know, that organization, the role that I had a chance to, to play leading that, I think was instrumental in, uh, in getting us there. I think you're right. We do really do take Wi-Fi for granted. I mean, I can't even tell you. I'll be in random places, like a corner of the street, yeah. and a Wi-Fi will, you know, yeah, pop yeah. up. It's like it really is everywhere these days. Yep. I think we're still in round, uh, probably the third inning in terms of what can happen with Wi-Fi because yeah. of uh, Wi-Fi 2.0. Yep. And the interoperability between Wi-Fi networks and cellular networks, and you, I kind of joke every time I come into work here, the Time Warner cable pop-up comes up their yeah. Wi-Fi right outside. So I think the cable companies, by the way, they have a, they had a report yesterday that came out about the number of jobs they're bringing to the industry. We're going to talk more about that in future episodes, but keep an eye on the, on the cable companies. Well, and, and, and that's a great you know, point, too. I mean, there was a time when it was Wi-Fi versus cellular. Mm-hmm. I mean, it sounds crazy today, but there really was, um, I'd say, maybe a lack of full understanding of how those technologies together yeah. would be very, very powerful. And it was actually the work that we did with the folks at CTIA, you know, to develop some of the certification programs. And uh, yeah. now all the phones you get today, they all have Wi-Fi. And, you know, we, we move in, in between these different technologies and life is good. And 
carriers are happy because it's you know more efficient bandwidth, right? The Wi-Fi folks are happy because now they're in all these gazillion devices. So it worked out really well for everybody. Now, kind of to wrap up um, our show, what interests you or what interested you most about returning to mobility versus consumer electronic? Hardware? Yeah, I mean, I think the thing about mobility is one, I've kind of been around it for pretty much my yeah. whole career, and so I, that's been fun, but. At the end of the day, I mean, the cell phone is the single most important technology device we carry. I mean, it's hard I to think about. To it, it's so. hard to think <laughs> about going. Uh, Colorado, it's hard to think about going a day without it, and sometimes even an hour without it, right? So, at the end of the day, it is maybe to some extent, it's a little bit of the center of our universe, right? And so, being yeah. part of that is 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 really fun. And then, as I was mentioning, it's not just the devices and all the great stuff happening there, but it's all the innovation that's gotten wrapped around it, all the apps, all the services, the business models, um, um, how you can use these capabilities in the same way, whether you're in Shanghai or whether in Chicago. I mean, it's just a great, great industry. There's still a lot of growth. There's a lot of innovation. There's a tremendous amount of really, really smart, talented people that are always going to be in this industry because it's fun. So, so no, it's just a privilege to be in the space and it's fun to, to kind of be back in that again. Well, it was a privilege having you here today and thank you so much. Great. My pleasure. Thanks so much. Us. Thanks, Carla. Thanks, Jeff. Thank Thanks, you, Jeff, too. Thank if you have any interesting careers that you want to show on our show, Inside Telecom Careers, email us. Thank you for joining us again on another episode. We'll see you next Thursday. Inside Telecom Careers is a production of RCR TV News. To reach Jeff Mucci or to suggest a show topic for Inside Telecom Careers, you can reach him at jmucci at rcrwireless.com. For all telecom-related news and information, please visit rcrwireless.com. To connect with the industry's top talent, please visit telecomcareers.net.